Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com/play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. In today's world, finding the facts and applying the truth to solve complicated problems is a bold move. Become an actuary and use your math skills to bring predictability to uncertainty. Actuaries are respected professionals and truth tellers valued across the globe. And actuaries are the U.S. News number 22 top paying career. Explore a great career in a field you love, making a real difference for real people. Find your path. The world needs actuaries more than ever. Welcome to another Spotify Green Room Wagon. We are live Jared Kibber chat that will be found on my podcast and YouTube channel and all these sorts of things. Today, uh, I have no idea what we're going to talk about. I don't know why I was about to say that. A uh, big shout out to Manscaped. If you want to get 20% off your male grooming needs, go to manscaped.com, put in the code REDINCA, all one word, and you can get a great deal from them. It's coming up to the time of year when people sometimes buy people presents what says you love your father more than saying to him do you know what could trim that wicket so look into it um also a big shout out to bodyline t-shirts for all their t-shirts uh not wearing one again today whoops and also uh, uh the people who've helped support us on buy me a coffee and on patreon and we're starting with patreon questions but i missed asking the ones on patreon because i was a bit late because we had to move this early because i'm commentating on new zealand uh india so i thought we'll get this the ama out of the way a little bit earlier on this week okay so ray says not so much a question man maybe opinion but wbbl playoffs predictions players to watch ray to be honest i haven't watched any of it um i was going to watch some of it this morning and then i got a bunch of phone calls so i literally have seen highlights so i have no expert opinion on a wbbl um I think it's kind of a good thing that there's so much women's cricket now that it's harder to follow. Um, whereas before, it felt like, you know, you had to watch it because it wasn't a big a deal. But obviously I followed the, the women's 100 um, and uh, hopefully I'll be able to watch the Women's World Cup, although it's not exactly going to be my ideal time zone and probably will go up against West Indies England. So it might depend on whether I get paid for whichever one. But no, I have no WBBL predictions, but everyone should go out and watch it and enjoy it. It's incredible how much uh, women's domestic cricket has improved. Obviously, women's international cricket, uh, we see a lot of, but the, the cricket at domestic level is just... I mean, if you're excited about how cricket is changing, women's cricket is the game to follow at the moment. Uh, it is incredible how 
quickly it is developing. Um, but sadly, Ray, I've got nothing for you. Uh, Rumnav says, um, I read about the new Emirates Premier Cricket League. Is that what it's called? Emirates Premier Cricket League? God. And the participation of some IPL franchise owners. Who's the league's target audience? Will this be like the current T10 league, mainly having T20 specialists, retired players, and players past their prime? Uh, I don't know 100%, but being that people with actual money are involved, I would assume there won't be that many players past their prime. I would assume if these IPL teams are getting involved that they're thinking of using it as a ground for training their coaches and their staff and probably a few few key overseas players. I don't know what the rules are going to be, though, like – if it's just another auction or a draft or anything like that, how how easy is it to actually um, go between? You know, like let, if you've got Sun on her own in your team and you want, oh, well, he's not a good example. If you've got Finn Allen in your team, uh, in your IPL team, and you want to develop him, is it chance he won't, might not be in the league? There? You know, you might not be able to get him in this Premier League. So I don't know how the rules are going to work with that. Um, this is not the first time that this has been talked about. The T10 was obviously supposed to be a massive league, hasn't quite made it. Um, and the T20X, and what was the other one? Was it the Emirates Cricket League, the Emirates Premier League? There's been another one, anyway, uh, that also didn't make it. Every couple of years, I'm told, oh, there's a big, big new league coming in Dubai, um, and usually they're quite small. But, th- yeah, this one's really interesting uh, because of the IPL owners, because of Brian, the, the Glacier family, um, you know, getting involved. Uh, it's certainly worth watching um, and paying some attention to, I would say, but I have no idea what it's going to be, if we're being very brutally honest. Will says, are the West Indies in yet another slump that further reduces their status in world cricket? Does that start to make their players less appealing to franchises? No, I don't think so. I I assume you're just talking about T20, um, although as we record today on Wednesday, uh, their test team has just fallen apart. No, I don't think the the way that West Indies play has that much to do with the franchises. I mean, if you have a look at the sorts of players who've come in and out of these teams, uh, out of franchise cricket, not all of them are West Indian players. Um, so I think it's a lot deeper than that. And the individual talent of these players is still unquestioned, as is the fact that so many of them specialise, which is another reason why so many of them are, are playing in these leagues. So, no, I don't see anything there that that changes anything. Uh, there's always going to be talent coming out of the West Indies, and I think there always has been. Um, it's just not always developed. And what T20 franchises do is probably allows more players to develop it, almost as freelancers or like golfers or tennis players more than cricketers. But um, certainly that's the case. Uh, that's the uh, Patreon questions. Remember, if you want to support us on Patreon, you can Google my name and Patreon. It's probably in the show notes somewhere here as well. Uh, you get to ask questions here first. But we've got a bunch of people in the room. Baska, are you there? Hey, Jared. My question was, like, given that you're going to cover the Indian New Zealand series and that India is like, kind of going to have a very relatively inexperienced batting lineup. So do you think that New Zealand has a chance to surprise India in the, the series, uh, given... Uh, uh, how inexperienced the batting lineup is? Well, the problem with that question is by the time most people actually hear this question, uh, we will know more or less what, what is going to happen because this podcast comes out on Saturday. Uh, look, I think it gives New Zealand a chance, doesn't it? But realistically, doesn't this series probably more hinge on the uh, you know New Zealand's ability to make consistent runs? I think that's probably... You know, teams have really struggled to put any runs on the board against India and India. Uh, I think that's what you have to be able to do. If the pitches are very, if the pitches favour one kind of bowling or another, um, then you would assume that you know New Zealand will 
be as good as as they can be in that situation, as you said, with a younger team. But it doesn't matter if they can't make any runs. Like there were times when England bowled quite well against India in that series. Um, but they didn't make any runs. So uh, I think it's probably more to do with the batting. Um, uh, I'm d- uh, doing a big piece about Ashwin and versus left-handers in New Zealand. I'm, I'm going I'm to read this out to you. I think you might like this. I'm trying to find my Excel spreadsheets here. But New Zealand... Um, historically, do not have many left-handers. Quarter, quarter of their batters in the history of their game have been left-handers. But uh, at the moment, in the last five years, they're up to 40%, which is basically tied for first with Sri Lanka and England. They're just behind them. And, uh, you know, turning up to India with a bunch of left-handers is not ideal because uh, you could make a very good argument, of which I am, that Ashwin is the greatest destroyer of left-handers that we've ever had in the game. So, uh no matter how the Indian batters go, they're not facing Ashwin. Um, so, uh, you know, obviously it, I think it, it makes the series slightly more f- uh, even, but, you know, there's still every chance that the New Zealand batters won't make any runs, and so that will cause problems. But thank you very much for your question. Rahul. Hey, Jared. So my question was that since Australia right now is trying to look for a new captain and Pat Cummins is in discussion and there's a lot of talk about him being a bowler, Mm-hmm. and him not being the best option because he's a bowler, because traditionally Australia doesn't go for a bowler as a captain. Traditionally, no one goes for a bowler, but continue. Yeah, that's true. The last I can remember is Jason Holder and Basim Akram. That's well, what Jason Holder's an all-rounder anyway. There's been a lot of bowlers who can bat that have been captains. I mean, Courtney Walsh, probably the last guy who couldn't bat, maybe Anil Kumble. I mean, there aren't many. Yeah, Anil Kumble, and that too for a very brief yeah. period. So, yeah, so the, my, my question is, can Australia start looking for to reduce the load on bad comments, look for a multi-format, like different card captains for different formats. Do you think Australia might go for that? Well, they've already got that. So Tim Payne doesn't captain the other format. So I don't think Pat Cummins will get the broad job. I wouldn't think Finch has just won a World T20. He's probably not losing that gig, is he? And do you think that Pat Cummins does have a chance of becoming a ODI captain in future if he performs well in this cap at NEST? Look, this is a really interesting question, and I'll probably do a video about this, but I'll, I'll try and keep my, my thoughts as normal as I can um, and answer yours. Essentially, the reason that we don't have bowling captains is because cricket is a class game and bowlers were professionals in the English game and batters were usually amateurs or from better schools, right? That's why bowlers weren't captains. There are cricket reasons that also play into this. So, for instance, uh, one of those cricket reasons is that it is very hard to captain your own bowling. Some players are very good at it, but generally what happens is, it, if you look at the scorecards, bowlers either sort of underbowl themselves or underbowl themselves. I forget the name of this. George, is it George Giffen, a famous old Australian cricketer um, who was a bowling all-rounder captain? And, oh, my God, did he bowl himself a lot of overs. So it does happen even at the test level. Um, and then the third thing now is modern cricket. Uh, you're talking about Pat Cummins being, uh, you know, all format captain. Well, Australia don't really use him that much in white ball cricket. Out, you know, uh, I mean, he plays a bit, but they try and rest him as much as possible. So they're never going to want him to be the all format captain because he's never going to play enough. It would be my guess, and they don't want him to play too much. So one is the class structure of cricket. The other one is the uh, the fact that you can over or under bowl yourself. And the third thing then is that we want to rest top-level fast bowlers especially, rotate them and keep them fresh. You can't do that if he's captain, I, I don't believe. So all of those reasons, we haven't brought in injuries here, but all of those reasons are, are why I don't think Australia would ever make him all three formats captain. 
I could be wrong because they might just think, well, there's no other option. Um, but as it currently stands, I would think that's, uh, I think it's very unlikely. Just a quick follow up on that. So do you expect mm-hmm. bad governments to play all five test, tests in the ashes and then followed by, I don't know where the next series is. So do you think they might start looking for a vice captain to groom as well? Because there is no way Pat Cummins will play every test match. Or do you think that's going to happen? I don't think they rest him very often, do they? I'm trying to think. Um, I, I'm sure they have rested him from tests. and I can't remember any, but he didn't miss any during the Ashes. He didn't miss any during India. I think with him, they usually rest him for um, one-day cricket and T20 cricket, don't they? I don't think they specifically rest him for... Um, the test matches, unless it's maybe for a smaller series. But again, same thing that you know we're, we're talking about here. They might, which is a bit awkward. Although we have seen England, you know, Andrew Strauss was rested for certain series, so we have certainly seen that happen with captaincy before for smaller series. But yeah, I, I expect him to play in all five Ashes, whether he's captain or anything. I mean, he's, if not the best bowler in the world, then certainly in the conversation. So. You know, for this particular series, I don't think they have a they'll have a problem. The, the problem really is a long term problem. I don't think it's a short term problem. No worries. Thanks for your question. VJ. Right. Yeah, my my question is uh, related to the new league that's going to be launching in the Middle East. And to your point in previous podcasts, uh, we do have IPL owners, the Glazers coming into that league. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be an extension of brands we already know. There's going to be skills and coaches across these leagues now. But as a United fan, I was I wasn't sucked into this all the replacement YouTube spiral where I was looking at coaches like Ralph Rangnick and all these kinds of advanced footballing coaches. You're a follower of the NBA. My broader question to you is in football, I, I see all these like philosophies, I see in-depth styles and 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 ways to look at football, but that ultimately Ralph Rangnick will only be setting up against another football team. He doesn't have to worry about pitch dimensions. Mm. He doesn't have to worry about geo. He doesn't have to worry about light system, etc. right? But in these leagues that are coming up, I know for a fact that the Middle East League is going to be Sharjah pitch, ground size. Uh, everywhere else is going to be due and the bowlers are going to get skimmed in the evening games. As an innovator on Avnis, like, how much of a problem is that for you in cricket? where it's a T20 league, there's going to be lots of innovation, but at the end of the day, if you win the toss first, it's going to be a huge advantage in evening games. Do you see that as a problem, or does that spark more creativity for you? Like, do you see do as something like, or charges, pitch size, pitch and ground size, do you see that as a way for you to innovate cricket and come up with a new tactical way of setting up your team, loading it with pitch hitters? Like, how do you view this yeah, I think maybe the most important thing is that I think that the toss and the batting second thing is massively overrated based on a few games that we saw in a row. Um, and like when you go back through that data of that World Cup, there are a lot of teams who just batted shit in the first innings. I think it's 58% of teams win in the UAE when they bat, uh, sorry, when they win the toss. So that is too high. Um, and so you're not wrong that it will affect the conditions. I don't think it affects the conditions to such a point that. I would throw out everything I know about T20 cricket to innovate there. Um, I, I think one of the most important things is probably I think we need to really start looking at how people score off spinners when they score off spinners. Uh, you know, for instance, you might be you might be more interested in how people score against spinners in the first innings of matches than in the second innings. Um, I can't think of that many other things that where you would do that. I mean, I've heard of people say things along the lines of you can't bowl spinners in the dew, but 
basically most seam bowlers now bowl back of the hand solo balls or knuckle balls or massive cutters. It's, that's still a form of spin, right? Um, so I don't know if if picking extra seam is, is a way to go. But I think for me, I'd be looking at who scores spin um, in the toughest conditions, which is generally the first innings um, more often than not. Um, and building a team core around that for somewhere like the West, in, uh, West Indies, for somewhere like the UAE. I don't think I'd be like tearing up the game plan that much. The only other thing I would do is I would think about going in with a bowler-heavy team. Um, and this is going to sound very counterintuitive, but batting first every single game in a tournament. And I don't know. If, I don't think it would win, work in one particular tournament, but over three tournaments it might. And here's my reasoning for this. The problem is now that every team turns up at the ground and they and they think if we don't bat second, we're our chance of losing. Now the numbers don't back that up in the UAE or anywhere else. Uh, and I think it's a psychological thing now that teams are not particularly as confident batting in the first innings. If you know that the opposition is going to send you in. Uh, nine times out of ten, right, you have the ability to set up a whole team around batting first. Now, what that means for T20 strategy and franchise building and all those sorts of things is murkier. But on a very basic level, if you know that, that I don't know what that, that, the toss um, percentage is in, in the UAE, but let's say, well, what was it in the World Cup? It was about 85% of the time teams opted to bat second. And if you then say, well, we're going to win probably, well, we're hoping over three years to win 50% of our tosses. You can basically guarantee that you're going to bat somewhere between, you know, 90 to 95% of the time. Bat first. You can build an entire plan around batting first. And you can also become the experts in bowling in the Jew, if that is possible. Um, so there are things that you can do if you really want to um, have fun. But I do, sometimes I do worry just how much people... I've overreacted to, you know, uh, a bunch of games in a row where the toss and batting second played a bigger part than, you know, we would normally expect when the numbers don't really back that up over a long period of time. So if you were to play God, what you're saying is you wouldn't, you don't think cricket's at a stage where you would remove all the vagaries of the sport yet, like make a toss like a different system, like they'd talk about cricket and so make the, the grand size the same, the pitches like not big special elements. You're not going to go that far yet. Because you think that's still well, for us to have Yeah, a- I think if you um if you look in the last five years, forty-nine percent of teams have won when batting first. It's almost fifty percent. I'm not saying there's not an advantage in back- batting second, but that advantage is not as dr- I, I think the way it's talked about, you would you would assume that p- people are talking about like at sixty or seventy or eighty percent of the time teams batting second win. It's just not true. It's not even close to being true. Um the UAE is the only place, man, um uh uh Amol, uh, Daisy, we looked at uh, the numbers. The only the only country we could find that even had a direct correlation between the toss and winning, um, uh, winning the toss and winning the game, seemed to be the UAE. So it is the one that we should be having the most conversations about. But that's not where the rest of the world is, right? Um, and so people are panicking based on one World Cup where a bunch of things happen. Let's imagine. Uh, actually, I, I think I talked about this recently. But the, my best, my best one. Do you remember in the 2019 World Cup when we had about four or five games in a row where the bales didn't come off, right? And there was this, the zing bales. They are slightly heavier and they don't come off quite as much. I think that is that's fact. But suddenly there was this. Everyone was. Oh, we're going to fix the bales. We're going to. We're still using zing bales, right? 
they're still falling off most of the time. It just happened to be that through a fluke convergence that a bunch of times in a row in big games that we were all watching, the bales did not come off. Um, I don't want to say that it's completely that case in the UAE because, as I said, I think the toss is... So if you win the toss and bat first in the UAE, you win 55% of the time. And if you win the toss and bowl first, you win 58% of the time. That means the toss is more important in the UAE, but doesn't necessarily mean batting second is that much more important than batting first. Um, now, that can be conditions-based, and there could be many different reasons for that. But the point is that we're not at a point... If we get to the point where it's 53% or 54% or 55%, I'm all in. I'm not, I'm not wedded to the toss. I don't care that much about the toss, realistically. Um, uh, so it doesn't really matter to me. But looking at my numbers, they're not backing up what people are saying. Um, I really think this is uh, recency bias um, and a big series bias uh, that is really, really dominating here. Um, and, you know, we, we, could, we could have a T20 tournament tomorrow where the team batting first wins 80% of the time, um, but it might be in South Africa or Sri Lanka and no one will notice. <laughs> and the numbers will even out again, right? <laughs> um, and these things will happen. And so uh, we have to be a little bit more realistic with that. But I think we also have to keep a look at it. You know, we've seen sports like baseball, like basketball, uh, I suppose football, American football, that and cricket are changing really, really quickly. You really have to keep, keep an eye on it. Um, I, here, here's a fun fact for you. From 1950 to 2010, oh, God, I think that's right. Yeah, till 2010, left-handers averaged a lot more than right-handers in test match cricket. Like a lot. Like it wasn't even close. And then from 2010, 2020, they completely flip roles. Now, Fun fact. that comes from probably DRS. And also there are more left-handers than ever before now. And we plan for more left-handers. And there are more bowlers who specialize in bowling to left-handers. So up until I think it was the 90s, we'd never had more than 30% um, of balls uh, runs scored by left-handers. And now it's, uh, it got to 36% or 37% in one decade. I think it's down at around 34% at the moment. So about a third. Now, that means that we are planning for them more. We are thinking about them more. We are used to bowling to them more. And we're bowling better at them, right? These things happen. If we get to a point where we're so good against left-handers where they end up averaging 25 and right-handers average 45, we probably have to look at changing the game again, don't we? There's something has gone wrong. I don't think that will happen, right? But it might happen. That is the point at which you go, something has gone horribly wrong. Like we had a period where uh, against pace bowling, the average, the global average was what, 35, 36, 37, 38, some years, incredible numbers against pace bowling. And then it dropped to 25 and 26, uh, 2018, 2019, I think, off the top of my head. Great. That's fun. Things have changed. If, that, if we had gone through a period where that kept, grow, kept dipping until it got to 21, 22, something might need to change again. In cricket and we've seen it in baseball uh you know uh we've seen that them move the mound uh we've seen other sports look at these sorts of things we've already limited the bat sizes because of white ball cricket these things are all fine but i think there needs to be a science behind it and one of the things i had problems with the mcc when they changed the bat sizes was it went against the science that the mcc had the mcc realized that actually the middle of bats hadn't changed because that you know it, the, the way the way that science says a two point out eight bat two point eight pound bat um it's going to hit the ball just as far now as it would have a hundred years ago that was that they did scientific tests on this the difference is that um 
we have managed to make the bats better so that the middles are wider, right? But we didn't do that recently. The first bat to do that was the Greenicle Scoop, which is still the best bat design we have ever had. Realistically, right now, the best bat you could have is the biggest size Greenicle Scoop because that bat size allowed it so that the ball still pinged off the middle very nicely, but it pinged off the outside edges of the bat and the toe end of the bat better and higher up off the bat because of the scoop in the back of the blade. So they knew that that was an innovation 40 years ago. And MCC still limited the sizes of the the edges and the the size of the bat and all these other things because people were complaining and panicking, even though they realized that the middle of the bats hadn't really changed and the actual design of the bat had peaked 40 years or 50 years. So when did the scoop come out? 1977 or something like that? Um, So, you know, 45 years ago. Um. Again, I've got no problem with the MCC changing the bat sizes, and I like the fact that the edges were limited um, and all these sorts of different things. But realistically, someone's going to work out, again, that we can make a bat where you don't need to be as good a batter because you can pack, you, you can, um, pack the outside of the bat, right? <laughs> That's why science and numbers lead you towards an answer rather than, oh, my God, look, every, someone just hit a leading edge for six. I saw Mark Elam hit um, uh, a leading edge for six off uh, Glenn McGrath in... Um, what, 99, 2000-ish, uh, with a toothpick. It's not, it's not the first time we've seen guys get leading edges before, but we saw a bunch in a row. We panicked. We changed the bat sizes. That's why I think we should use numbers and, and everything else. So that is the uh, – you're not going to get a more rounded or weirder answer to your very reasonable question than what I just said. That's why I join every week. Thanks, Jared. <laughs> no worries. Thanks for coming on, mate. All right. Who we got next? Ribu. 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 I was wrong twice. No worries. Uh, this is sort of a follow-up to the Pat Cummins question mm-hmm. where, um, so there's been a little bit of a situation now where CA is trying to save face and how they handled Tim Payne. You know, of the other names that have been mentioned, Travis Head is there, but he's not really, you know, a, a great pick. Would this be the worst time for CA to bring back Steve Smith? And as a follow-up to that, do you see any situation where Steve Smith can come back through CA? Yeah, no, definitely. Um I think this would be the best time to bring Steve Smith back because everyone's like, wow, uh, we, you know, we've got a fast bowler. I hadn't heard Travis Head's name be mentioned, although I suppose that makes sense. I always think Usman Khawaja was the one that they might give it to for a couple of years. But then you're giving a captaincy role to another caretaker, essentially, because you're not sure if he's good enough to play um, in the same way you weren't about Tim Payne. The male conundrum. Yeah. So I, I think you're sort of doubling down on another mistake then, aren't you? Uh, or not a mistake, uh, although... Tim Payne is what Tim Payne is. But, um, yeah, no, I would have thought that this is the best time for Smith because it's great glass in case of emergency captaincy, isn't it? Like, I mean, you Cricket Australia could do that. I suppose the other way of looking at it is, well, wait a minute, we're giving the captaincy to someone who lost the captaincy um, to replace someone else who's lost the captaincy. Uh, there will be a lot. But that's more, that's one of those problems that's probably a bigger issue for, like, opinion writers. You know, someone writing an op-ed will, ha- will have to get their head around that. I think a lot of Australian fans will just be like, look, we- I think there's certainly a, within Australian cricket fans, maybe not Australian general sports fans, I think there's a feeling that there was certainly way big, too big a penalty paid by Warner, Bancroft and Smith. And I think with that in mind, Smith getting the captaincy back won't won't have the rough landing that you might expect it to. Where it will have a rough landing will be the sort of general sports writers and sports radio and 
um, you know, politicians wading in if they think they can, you know, get some good sound bites on the TV from it. I think there might be worse there. But I don't think the cricket community uh, is that upset with Steve Smith um, or uh, even the cricket media community, if, if you want to widen it out a little bit there. So um, I think it would make sense. That said, I just don't think they're going to do it. I, I could be wrong. Um, but I just think that considering this is the second scandal they've kind of had um with a captain uh do they really and they're basically if they bring Smith back they're kind of at least poking the bear on a third one um so I just can't I can't imagine they're going to do it I think maybe in the short term they give it to Pat Cummins and they try and see if Head or Kawaja or you know maybe someone else completely uh can come in and do the job um in the long term but um or they could just give it to Cummins long term as well uh, as we were talking about earlier but yeah I just cannot imagine that they will go to Smith um uh, and by cannot imagine I mean it's like a 30% chance so you know I suppose I can slightly imagine it <laughs> um but yeah I I wouldn't have thought they would do that no worries thanks for your question uh, who have we got there you are. yeah hi Jared. so uh, I just looked up and Kawaja's 33, I guess, 33 or 34. Basically dead, isn't he? That's what you're saying. It's incredible that he can still walk at that age. I mean, but we, uh, we don't, we still don't know who is the starter between Head and Kawaja. I mean, George yeah. said that he, uh, Travis Head has been captaining Australia A in the Shadow Tours. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, maybe they'll go for him. Travis, Travis Head can't play the ball when it's right arm around the wicket um, from seam bowlers. You can't make him a strong captain unless he has completely fixed that flaw. It's untenable for him um, to be captain if he's going to come back and he's going to get bowled in LB a bunch of times in a row. Um, absolutely, it would be the worst thing that they could do. Uh, Kwaja's 33, completely knows his game, whether he's quite good enough to be a consistent batter. I mean, the problem is you're throwing in guys who've already failed uh, with the bat into what is a fairly tough era to bat in as well. Put it this way, Australia touring India at the moment, how many balls are, do you really expect Head and Kwaja to face of Ashwin? He's going to get them a lot. They're not going to make many runs against him. Um, it's hard enough for left-handers who are conquering Test cricket to play against Ashwin. So I think there's, I think there's a lot of problems with either of those two. And as we said before, it's, I don't think, I don't think Travis Head is realistically a long-term option because I don't know if he's good enough with the bat. I think he could be, but he's just got to iron out some of those problems. Um, Kawaja is 33. There's no great answers here other than we just go with Pat Cummins and, you know, it's a possibility that Pat Cummins only plays for Australia in limited overs, World Cups and Champions Trophies and things like that, and um, captains in the test team, and that's how they manage his load. Tough, though. It's very tough. Um, You know, there are certain test series that you don't need Pat Cummins for that they'd rather not play him in. Um, but they might feel uncomfortable about doing that if he is the captain. So, look, there's no easy, there's no easy answers, really. Yeah. So, uh, my question was, uh, how do you view strike rate in Test cricket? Because uh, India just announced that Surya will be replacing KL Rahul because they wanted someone with a higher strike rate to bat in the middle order. All of the players who have been batting, like uh, Rohit, KL, Virat, haven't striked off about 55. And uh, Shulia has played greater than that. So, like, how do you view strike rate in Test cricket, or is that was that just uh, an explanation to get by? I think more more nonsense is spoken about strike rate in Test cricket than almost anything else. And I'll tell you why. This is this is uh, I've already come up with one really good fun fact here. 
but I'm going to come up with another really good fun fact. Alex Hales was brought into the England team to open the batting and shake things up and score really quickly. At the, by the end of his career, he was scoring slower than Alistair Cook. There are players who will come in and score very quickly in, in test cricket. There are players who score very quickly in first-class cricket who can't do that, though. And that's because uh, quite often you are, you know, the, the, the first change bowler or the main spinner or whoever it is, or the, you know, you, you get maybe one test-quality bowler in a first-class lineup, maybe two test-quality bowlers in a, in a first-class lineup, and then you've got a part-timer or, or an all-rounder who would never bowl at test level um, and a couple of other players who are, you know, not of test quality. You can score quickly against them right? The other thing is that the way that the fields work as well, like, you, you know, there used to be the point where you could send in an attacking batter in test cricket and they could slash their way to a very quick score. I think of someone like Michael Slater, Chris Shrikant is yeah, another Rishabh. one. Yeah. Sorry? Uh, Rishabh Pant in Australia. Yeah, but, but look at Rishabh Pant in Australia. Look at the risks that he has to take to score quickly now, right? That wasn't the case when you were Chris Shrikanth or Keith Stackpole or Michael Slater or some of the more attacking test players uh, in, in the old days. There's great footage of um, Garfield Sobers' 200 and... Yeah, what did he make? 200-odd against uh, playing for the rest of the world versus Australia. I reckon for about the first 150 runs, no one puts a sweeper out. <laughs> Right, and even when they put a sweeper out, I think it's like one sweeper out. He just keeps hitting the ball to backward point over and over again. Right, so to be an attacking player now, you need to be incredibly well rounded because they will just put a sweeper out where you're hitting your boundaries. Right, you know if if um if Michael Slater or uh, or uh, Keith Stackpole was, I'm pretty sure Keith Stackpole's thing was to knock the ball up in the air back over fast bowlers' heads. That was where he, he scored a lot of his boundaries. If you had a test player doing that now, you'd just put someone out. We've seen it with Saywag, you know, starting early on having a deep cover, right? We've seen these sorts of fields now for players. Uh, it's really hard to be attacking. And if you want the best example of this, look at Joss Butler. What's Joss Butler's strike rate in test cricket? It's, a f it's the same as Kane Williamson's, I think, <laughs> right? Now, there you go. There's another. I I've been dro dropping some pretty fun facts in this podcast, by the way. Um, uh, He's around Kane Williamson, I think. And he was brought in, again, to be attacking, and is batting at number seven. You're not going to get a better free reign to be attacking than that. The truth is that it's not particularly easy to score. And to be a difference maker, you really have to have a strike rate of over 75. You know, you need to be Colin de Grandhomme or David Warner or Quinton de Kock. Those sorts of guys have a real impact for their strike rates. Most other players don't. And you are throwing a player in now when test bowling is incredible. So to score at all is an incredible thing. To be able to score quickly is phenomenal. Um, you know, anyone scoring quickly in the last four or five years is just, they're just a natural at doing it and they've got no problems with it. More often than not, you're not going to be able to do that. Uh, especially away from your home conditions, you might be able to do it in your home conditions. So having an attacking test batter is a really, really good thing because you can be in a position where you can put pressure back on the bowlers very quickly. But the truth is that the majority of test cricketers uh, score between a strike rate of 40 and 60. Um, and even batters that sometimes have reputations of being attacking batters struggle to get past that 60 mark. And to make a real difference, I really do believe you need to be certainly over 70, but probably over 75. I think Quinton de Kock might be high 70s and de Grandhomme might be low 80s. Um, and there aren't many guys out there that 
have ever been able to do anything like that. And that's because the red ball is harder to line up than the white ball. It keeps doing things. It keeps assisting spinners and it keeps assisting quick bowlers. And uh, the pitch deteriorates as well. There's a lot of reasons why it happens. So if you can find a natural player, uh, let's look at some, uh, Quinton de Kock, um, uh, you know, uh, Adam Gilchrist, Shahid Afridi, um, trying to think of some of the others out there, David Warner, um, those sorts of guys, it's absolutely, it's really cool to have them in your team. But are they worth, what's the extra strike rate worth over average in test cricket? I wouldn't think it's worth that much. If you can find two people who can average 40 um, and you're positive they're both going to average 40 in test cricket and one's going to strike at 80 and one's going to strike at 40, well, you're probably going to take the guy who strikes at 80 unless there's a bunch of other flaws um, in his average. Um, so realistically, um, I, I just think it's it's one of those things that we talk about a lot. And I, as an Australian, we were always obsessed by it. The more I look into it, the more I think it's just utter nonsense, realistically. The best thing in test cricket is strike rotation because the less time a, a bowler can line you up. You don't want Vernon Philander to bowl 24 straight balls at you. Strike rotation is far more important than boundary percentage um, in test cricket. And uh, I don't... Don't it, I, I just there are not that many batters who have a very high boundary percentage who end up being successful test batters. Um, whereas there's a lot that have a very high strike rotation ability that do. Did that answer it? Yeah, thank you so much. Uh, just a yes or no. Do you think Manus Labushin can captain Australia or is it too early for him? No, he cannot. Not now. First time I've ever done a yes or no and actually answered it correctly. I still said more than I should have. Uh, who have we got? Jimmy Boy. Jimmy Boy. Hi, Jared. Hello. What is your question, Jimmy Boy? So, this recent that New Zealand and India did series of such a painful watch. I mean, New Zealand players literally wanted to just go home. It was like, they were forcing them to play. I mean, it's too much cricket is fitted to the viewers nowadays. Do you think uh, it should be sorted out? Yes. We should, yeah, there is too much cricket. That was a ridiculous series, New Zealand, India. Uh, even this test series is probably a ridiculous series. But... But it's still part of the world that's happened, so it's important. But this uh... no, but it's still a ridiculous series. You, if you're going to have a World Test Championship and you're going to have it five minutes after a World Cup, right? You're not you're not setting up either team to be at their best, right? There's too much cricket. There was too much cricket before COVID hit, then COVID hit, and we tried to fit too much cricket into less time. That's the the world that we live in. Yeah, I was thinking about a concept. Can we get rid of bilateral T20 series altogether and bring in? World T20 qualifiers because 2024 onwards will have 20 teams. Can we, we, we can do, do world qualifiers. Jimmy, we can do anything. We can do lots of things. We can do hundreds of things to have less cricket. They don't want less cricket, Jimmy. Is it? Is that, they don't want less cricket. They want more cricket. I mean, is that as president? Of course, it's plausible. Everything's plausible. There are there are plenty of ways we could have less cricket. We could have a more organized structure. We could have each game meaning more. We could do all these sorts of things. But the people in charge. Well, there's no one really in charge of test cricket to be, or international cricket to begin with. Um, and, uh, you know, when it comes down to it, it's just, you know, they don't want to do it. If they wanted to do it, they would do it. That's what it comes down to. Thanks for your question. All right. Sudeep. Hello. Hello. What's your question? Last time we met on Spotify Green Room, we, uh, I think you remember uh, we had a heated discussion about Ajinkya Rahane. Oh, was that ages ago? That was, a, that was a while back. Yeah. I think I made a whole video about that discussion. Yeah, I, I felt great. <laughs> I kind of introspected my question uh, after the talk and I really find rational behind your answers. 
Oh, excellent. What's your question today? Let's see if we can get another video out of you. <laughs> My question today, Jared, is linked to the previous question. Mm -hmm. uh, do you think India has made a right call uh, making Ajinkya Rani captain in the first test match against New Zealand? Because he's completely out of form in test match arena. Would uh, Rishabh Pant or Jaspeed Rumra would have been a better option looking forward? It depends on what you're doing. If you think that this series is nothing more than um, preparation for other series in the future, then you would pick a younger player or a different kind of player. If you are just looking for continued, um, you know, uh, continue, why can't I come up with the word? Continuity, that's the word I was looking for. Um, then no, you should definitely pick Rahane. Uh, he's a brilliant captain. I think we all know that. Um, he's going to be a safe pair of hands. He's not going to do anything stupid. And they are playing the team that beat them in the World Test Championship. So I would think it would be a very random thing to give the captaincy to Rishabh Pant or Jasper Brummer when you have your vice captain in the team. Um, and uh, he's a very, very good captain. I, I, I think it would be a very, it would be bizarre. It doesn't matter to me if he's in or out of form because they were clearly going to pick him either way, right? So that the form thing doesn't really matter. Um, what really matters is, you know, whether they what they were thinking. And I think they were thinking, well, we're going up against a really good team and we would like to beat them. And our best chance of doing that is probably with Ajinki Rahane as captain. Okay. If India was looking, uh, as you said, they are looking to put forward the best team, their experienced player, then uh, what's the rationale behind resting position when Virat Kohli? Uh, I don't think there's rationale behind that, is there? Those players requested rest, didn't they? That's not. If your players request rest, what are you what are you supposed to do? Make them play on anyway when they've already up told you that they're not they're not going to be mentally up for it. Is that the option? No, I'm not saying that. Uh, I think that the best option would have been to look forward. There's a new coach here. There should have been a new captain. But okay, I understand you hope find as well. Yeah, but but what I'm saying is like I, I think India would prefer to have Virat Kohli and Rohit Sharma in the side, right? That's what they would have wanted to do for this series. Well, uh, but uh, if in if in case if in case they are not over here, uh, the best option would have been to go with a younger player because there's a new coach. No, that's the opposite of what you would want to do. That's the uh, that's the absolute opposite of what I would. If I've just lost two captains, right? Essentially, Rohit's a captain and Virat's a captain. I've also lost two stalwarts of the batting. Right? So things are going to be a bit choppier anyway. Why on earth would I want to make the captaincy a part of that choppiness? Surely what I would want to do in that particular situation is make sure that captaincy was in the safest possible pair of hands for this series, being that I'm already missing two of my stars. I really don't want to make it worse by throwing in Rishabh Pant, who, to be fair, you know, watching him captain for Delhi, he's still in development. It's a big ask for him to suddenly become test captain um, at, at the moment and to do it without two of the best players in, in, um, in his batting lineup. I think you're setting him up to fail, if we're being honest. Whereas it doesn't really matter if Rahane fails, right? It doesn't matter. Rahane to fail because, I mean, he, he, he isn't going to get captain. It doesn't matter if we're setting him up to fail, right? Because he's a senior player, he knows his job, and he's the vice captain, right? He comes in, he does his job, and he goes home. He knows who he is as a player at this stage. He knows who he is as a leader, Um it doesn't matter if you're setting him up to fail, but at the very least, we know that he is a successful test captain when he has had that position. That's a big difference between you throwing it to Jasper Brummer or Rishabh Pant. A huge, ginormous difference, right? And then you're throwing one of them in, and then you get saying, also, you don't have two of your best players um, to be able to play in this game. So no, for me, it, um, it makes complete sense. Um, the same way, if they went the other way, let's say Virat didn't play, but everyone else was, you know, completely starring. 
uh, and they were and they were playing, I don't know, Sri Lanka or West Indies instead of New Zealand. That is a situation where I could see them go, do you know what, who, who do we think might be our future captain? Uh, and go up to Ajinkia and say, look, we, it's not that we don't think that you're a very good vice captain. We just want to try someone else here. We think we're going to win this series anyway. So I think what they're trying to do is cover all bases as best as they can. I've got absolutely no problem with this decision at all. Okay, thank you, Jared. No worries. Thanks for your question. Samir. There we go. Oh, oh, Sorry. Here it is. How you doing? What's your question, mate? Obviously, I know you had a discussion about more cricket. I was always curious with like 2020 and your work in there. Have you ever thought like finals should be best of three? Yes. Best of seven. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think I did a video on this, mate. Or maybe I didn't. I have mentioned it somewhere. I, I, I talk and write so much, I can't remember where I do any of these things anymore. But, oh, I was on, I, do you know what? I was on TalkSport. TalkSport got me on to talk about the toss and everything. And I said, I think you need to be realistic before you even talk about the toss and batting second is that there is a, a randomness to a basketball, a baseball or a T20 game that a test match doesn't have, right? You know, you can get behind in a test match and, and work your way back over days, right? It has that ability. I'm not saying the best team always wins, in a test match, but the best team wins a lot more often in a test match than it does in a basketball game, a baseball game, um, or T20 cricket. If you're winning 66% of your games in T20, you are fucking great. If you win 66% of your games in test, test matches, um, you're still a really good team, but we've seen teams go far beyond that, right? So in baseball and in basketball, we have seven game finals. <laughs> that, there's a reason for that. They know that their sport has that sense of randomness in it I, I i've said this before i think the best way of doing a t20 tournament properly and I'm, i don't think they'll ever be able to do this but if you really want to know who the best international t20 team is um you probably then need to play it over at least 10 to 15 round robin games you know or league games if you will um and then have to have a much better final system than um a semi-finals final um i i don't think australia was in the best four teams at this world cup um I'm not sure that New Zealand were in the best two teams either. Um, uh, and, you know, I think if this, if this tournament is played a bunch of times, uh, yeah, sorry, a lot more games, uh, I think we probably see um, other winners and other teams like, you know, I mean, India basically had two bad games in a row. And as I've said, if you look at the IPL, um, Chennai lost their last three games coming into the finals. Um, and, you know, Chennai still went on to win the finals. That's how T20 cricket is. It, it has that element of randomness in it. One, one day cricket has as well, but not as high as T20 cricket does. Um, and so, um, you know, with that in mind, I would say that you can, you would certainly want to play a more uh, robust finals. If, if you look at the, um, uh, Samir, where are you, uh, you've got, it sounded like you had an Aussie accent. Is that right? Yeah, I'm from Australia. Well, where in Australia are you from? Uh, Brisbane. Brisbane, okay. So, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but the finals of the IPL are based on rugby league and um, Aussie rules, right? I hadn't noticed that yet. Yeah, so that it's based on what they did for the Champions League, which was made up by a guy from Melbourne, Dean Kino, um, or Kino, I always forget how to pronounce his name. Um, and they, they realised that the structure didn't make... You couldn't, they realised that T20 cricket couldn't have knockout finals in that way, right? And so... They went back to the final system of what the old, um, I think it was, I can't remember who came up with it first, if it was Rugby League or Aussie Rules, but I know it through Aussie Rules, obviously being from Melbourne. And they came up with it, the, the second chance section of it. So that's why the top two teams. I think it was Aussie, Aussie Rules first. Yeah. yeah it, I, you know what? I once, studied, I once looked into it and I thought it might have been Rugby League. But yeah, it, it certainly goes back to 
very, very early on, one of those sports came up with the idea of a preliminary final, which drives my wife absolutely crazy, just the name of it and everything about it. Then you've got your know, second semifinals and everything that we have in, in some of those sports. And, you know, every couple of years, Aussie Rules comes up with a new final that they've invented uh, because they've got a, a different kind of, um, a, a different amount of teams in their, in their finals. But when you had four teams, that, that's what they wanted. They really wanted the second, the, the top two teams to get um, the second chance. And so that comes from, from those other sports. That's telling you that in, this is the, there's no level of T20 cricket that we think about things more than IPL, right? That's the one that we think the most about, whether fans, media, the people organizing it, it's got the most money. Do you know what I mean? Everyone's thinking about it. And it's the one that has the second chance in it, which kind of tells you that that's probably where we are going. I don't think, although I would love it, we'll ever have a multiple game final. But if you were doing, I would love it if um, T20 leagues, uh, you know, if, if you do have second chances, um, you know, um, whether you have a top four or top five or a top six eventually in some of these leagues, if you have second chances for some of the teams, I think eventually what would be great is if we had a three, uh, a th- a three game final. Um, I think you just, you, you know, you take away the, the toss and the juve uh, flexibility, but also yeah, a drop catch or, um, you know, all those little things that happen, you know, bad decision by the umpires and all those little things would even out a little bit more over three games. Um, but I just don't see it happening. But it's a great question and I would love it to happen. But but uh, but you're right. Yes, I agree. Yeah, agree, agree with that. And yeah, I thought with the semifinals, they should have like best all four play each other. Then, Like, because obviously England probably was the best side and they probably would have helped them. That's what I had said thought for the World Yeah, no, Cup. I think you're right. I think... Probably what they should have done is that they should have followed what the current IPL one is, which is one plays two. Whoever loses out of that plays three, um, plays the winner of three versus four, and then they, they they go into the final to play the other team, which gives whoever wins that first final gets a bit more rest, which is great. Um, and then you had you, you had that. I, I think that would have been perfect. I mean, in this tournament, even if we would have done that, I'm sure the the, uh, the toss hawks would have uh, would have said that wouldn't have mattered anyway. But but. I think that's what we should have done. But uh, that was a great question, mate. I, I really like that. I am going to end the chat here as I've got to go do another podcast. But thank you to everyone. Um, that was that was the, the brilliant. I was a bit rushed there, so I didn't even get to ask the, answer as many of the Patreon questions as I usually would. Uh, but big shout out to the people on Patreon who uh, support us. Remember, if you want to do that, Patreon, you get access to the Jared Kimber Discord, if you're interested. Podcasts come first to you without advertising on them. And also, just in general, there are other perks, AMAs with me, and and you can um, have video chats on certain levels. There's buy me a coffee if you don't like Patreon. I don't drink coffee, but buy me whatever you... Probably bourbon, if we're being honest. Probably rye, if we're being really honest. So thank you to those people who support us there. As I said, I'm I'm commentating on the India-New Zealand series. Then I've got the Ashes after that. And big shout out to manscaped.com if you want 20% off on your shaver to shave your best nuts, uh, your jaffers, if you will. Put in the code, all one word, Red Inca, and you can get a discount there, 20% discount, free worldwide shipping. And uh, thanks to Bodyline T-shirts and everyone who comes onto the Spotify Green Room. We have been testing out the clubhouse as well, but for the, the time being, we'll probably stay with the Spotify Green Room because you guys are asking really good questions here and not that many people turned up on my clubhouses anyway, so I might as well stay here and keep the small audience asking great questions. But thanks again, and I'll talk to you all again very soon. Goodbye. Sports Social Podcast Network.